This is Jeffrey Thomas, author of Punk Town, and you are listening to Microphones of Madness. Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there, Steve. <coughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm not and on we death are, door anymore. Well, that's, I'm on that's death door. I'm on his front you're lawn. In, you're in his front lawn. He's uh, you're cold as the Jehovah's Witnesses of death. They just kind of push you away. Uh, this is the third part of our discussion of Edge of Sundown, edited by Kevin Ross and Brian M. Sammons. The M stands for hmm. It's <laughs> published by Chaosium. And uh yeah. This is uh part three again. 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 It's all part three. It's part three all the way down. All the way down. Next next time around it'll be part three again. For the fourth time. All right. Um so what'd you th- what'd you overall what'd you think of the five stories we're covering this time? Uh, I really dig this book. Yeah, this is this is this is a good know, book. I don't know if it's because it's like just like different, um, just in tone and in subject matter. I don't know if it's just like everybody who wrote for this book brought their A game so far. But uh, I haven't read a bad story in this book, and usually with anth- anthologies, you're going to have ups and downs and things that work and things that don't work. Right, right. Got, so far, I haven't gotten that yet, and it's it's so far it's great. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop because the last five stories that we're going to cover next week are, are going to just. I mean, the way it's going, they're going to knock it out of the fucking park. Yep. Um, now, this section of the book, we we talked last time uh, briefly how um, a good chunk of the last five stories we read uh, dealt with. Uh, monsters out in the old west. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this section is pretty much like very old school, kind of Twilight Zone, uh, like amazing stories type of thing. Yeah, it's definitely got the that like uh, twist endings mm-hmm. thing happening on all of them. And we'll just we'll just jump right into it because we're gonna we're gonna start with Whisper by yes. Mark Onspaugh. Yes, it's the what is it? A ALS? It's the ALS version of Edge of Sundown. ASMR. Oh, okay. ASM yeah, ASMR. So I'm not up on my hip hip gross acronyms. I'm just going to uh, run a brush over the microphone while we're talking and uh, discussing the story Whisper. This is the story of a bank robbery that has gone completely tits up. That's that's the best way to fucking describe it. You start the story story and everything has just gone completely to shit. Um... These guys, they've lost two of their crew. They've committed like 
what, like four counts of murder? Yeah, I mean, it was like, this is like the, uh, the, the robbery happens off screen. That was the movie. And mm-hmm. this is like the after movie. Right. And and they did all of this for 20 bucks. Yeah, it's actually, this is kind of like the reservoir dogs of of the of the, the old west. Kinda, kinda. Because you uh, have like the shitty bank robbery. And um I, I will say there's a shout out in here. It's unintentional. Um my best friend in college, his name was John Ross. Mm-hmm. And we're still friends on Facebook. Hi John. And uh one of the characters, one of the evil bank robbers is uh Johnny Ross. Johnny Ross. He was the nephew of the main character. Yes. And he's one of the reasons why everything went tits up. Because the boy yeah, got he's more, a little, uh, boy filled with piss and vinegar, but not a lick of sense. Yeah. He's uh he's kind of your hot headed gunslinging Yahoo. Right. Um, so these guys are bank robbers. There's three of them left. They're trying to get away from the law. My friend John is not a bank robber. You know, right? He's not a bank robber, and he, he's got a little bit more sense than this Johnny fellow does. Right. And just disclaimers, right? Right. I, I just don't want him to like. You know, he mentioned me, and the guy's a dick. <laughs> right. Um. So our bank robbers, they're they're fleeing from the the long arm of the law. Um, and they find themselves out in the wilderness, riding through an ancient and decrepit graveyard. And and they're at the point, um, in in their after robbery where they're bickering constantly. They're bickering constantly. It's like they're going to turn on each other at any they're point. Plotting against each other. Right. Well, the one seems to be plotting the others. Are kind of uh, well, you know, you can't can't go against Ross because that's the nephew and right. that sort of thing. But uh, it's definitely but, uh, afraid yeah, right here. yeah. It's like it's so far. It's only one tit up, and right. the, other, the other one yeah. is about the to go up. About to come out of the bra, right? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's. That is, that's an awful saying and uh, an even worse way to try to expand the analogy. But as they're wandering through this decrepit graveyard, they uh, discover that there's one central grave. Yeah, one special grave marked off apart from the rest. Yeah, there's a fence around it and everything. Um. And it actually looks like it's being it's been kept up for the most part. It's got a wrought iron fence around it. It's cool to the touch rather than being warm from being in the sun all day long. Yeah, so you definitely get the heebie jeebies. Yeah. You know, why is why is this grave different? Why is this grave different? Right. Um it's the Passover grave. Right. Johnny Ross, being the impulsive motherfucker he is, he jumps over the fence. Goes looking, I'm going to poke around in here a little bit. See like what's so special. 
Right, exactly. Because, you know, if you're in a graveyard and everything else is overgrown and decrepit and rotting and stuff, and there's one pristine grave, that's the one I'm going to go look at. Right. I'm going to jump well, the fence and trot all over the ground. and You get the the feeling that it was semi-intentional and semi-something um, kind of pushed his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as soon as they do that, they're starting to screw around in there. They see a glint of metal. Uh, they start digging down, and they find a a shield, a solid silver shield, just buried in the dirt. Like you do. Like you do. Well, you do in Zelda, but yeah. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, score. It's much better than that 20 bucks you got. Yeah. Makes it all worth it. Yeah, we'll take this. We'll take this to the next town, melt it down, and uh, we'll be living like kings before sunset. Well, as soon as they started trying to pull this thing out, an old man comes running at them. Yeah, it's it's one of those like uh, moments where it's the crazy old man. Don't you be doing that, Sonny? You know, like at the beginning of uh. And every Friday the 13th movie. Don't you be going to Crystal Lake now. Exactly. There ain't nothing good for you there. Don't you be pulling that shield out the ground now. Now what, old, makes the, well, now, what makes the shield even weirder? Right, crazy old man. Uh, and Don't listen to the crazy old man. No one right. ever does. Our bank robbers are already on edge, so they just gun the motherfucker down. Yeah. Wouldn't you? I guess, you know, I don't want to hear about it. Don't go to Crystal Lake, guys. Shut up, right. old man. Jason Voorhees will get you. Yeah, shut up, old man. Pew, pew, pew. And the funny thing that happens there is he hits the ground and dissolves. Yeah, Turns so to dust right before their eyes. You're getting all these clues, like, just go, move on. Right. Do not want to be here. Right. The only the only thing that's missing from uh from all of this uh these signs is a big neon flashing sign that says get the fuck out. That's right. No vacancy. No vacancy. Um but like we so said, are not the brightest people. Yeah, these are not the sharpest tools in the shed. Um so they try to rip the shield out, and it turns out that the shield is connected to a network of silver wire spread out like a spider's web over the ground. Seems to be connected to the fence as well. And like you do, you just start cutting those threads and get that shield out of there. Bring those threads because... No, that shield's got to be worth something. That's right. Pay no attention to the dissolving old man. Pay no attention to the dissolving old man. That shit's not weird enough. You know, we'll just uh, we'll pull this up and uh, make our way out of here. Except for the monster that pops up out of the fucking ground when they pull the shield <laughs> loose. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> I mean, really. What book are you in? <laughs> it is right. one of those... It is definitely one of those what book are you in moments where right. 
because you know you, you're reading this and you know it's meta so you're like oh it's a you know it's a it's a weird west story and all this weird shit's happening something's coming out of that grave right something's gonna come out of that grave and yeah it's and and everything once that monster comes up out of the grave everything just goes batshit right it, it kind you of know, like it's it's all now it's on like, john whoa. ross's grill and one poor guy he gets killed deke yeah he gets he, he gets aced before they even get the shield up i think yeah, and then uh, there's a house. And then there's a house, of course, because you got to have a creepy old house. Yeah, now the, the, the creepy old house part kind of like gave me like a throwback to uh, the, the farmhouse in uh, Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Or the cabin of, in uh, Evil Dead. Yeah, just like, you know, where it was actually set up so it's part of its character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that it really struck struck me about the story is he never goes into any type of detail with the no, monster. You don't know what the monster. You don't even know what you kind of piece together what the monster's at, but you don't really know why. Right. Um, and which, which is fine because, really, given the circumstances, um, the only person who would know is dissolved. Right. Um, the three yahoos, which are now the two yahoos, they don't have a fucking clue. Right. And the monster isn't saying anything. So, you know, just it's it. And, and it's not one of those narratives where you have that omniscient voice. Right. You're, so, you're sitting you're sitting right inside uh, the main character's head. Right. And so, so you have to basically fill in the blanks. And what what and this is what makes like in my opinion, some of the best weird fiction is the stuff that, that you have to draw your own conclusions to. Right. Yeah, because like, very little is explained. Yeah, you, you're the one connecting the dots. I mean, all joking aside, when someone like Lovecraft describes the undescribable, really he's saying a whole lot of nothing. Right. And, and you're connecting those dots in your mind and coming up with these, you know, creatures or whatever mm-hmm. and, and you know it's an exercise in, in your own um, imagination right which, which you know which is great who doesn't like that mm, absolutely absolutely we also get the uh the kind of religious imagery uh yeah but painting it, of jesus in the garden of gethlemane with the creature whispering into his ear so you get this like hint that it might be the devil himself Right, and and the the way that the the house itself, the decor is set up, is you have everything. You have an upside down cross, and everything's kind of focusing to one point in the house. But the, the narrator basically says it himself. It's uh, Galen that um, it d- didn't seem to be satanic, but more of a focus um, to focus holy energy into the house. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of uh, a gothic concept, right? Isn't that how gothic cathedrals were were erected to focus spiritual energy down into the congregation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to bring heaven. You want to bring heaven into the room with you, and right. that's what uh, the old man wanted to do. 
and apparently he was at, at at some point i guess appointed as a guardian right well he had a very good reason to do that because you know there's the whisperer mm-hmm. yeah so so you got the the lack of explanation there were enough clues for you to figure out what was going on but you don't know the exact nature of what's going on and you're just kind of like you ride off with uh, Galen, and you're pretty much just as damaged as he is by this point. Yeah, and and even Galen at the end of of the story is just like, "Fuck it, I'm out." I right, know, and I don't care. I'll say a prayer for the dead, and I'm going to get a whore. He's the uh, he's the guy in the Call of Cthulhu in the Call of Cthulhu campaign who's just like, "I ain't got no reason to stay." Yeah. See ya. I'm out. And that's and that's one of the things that, that made it interesting as well, because, um, you know, Galen survives another day and he probably takes this story to his grave with him. Maybe, you know, right. maybe he I, tells it to somebody on his deathbed or something. But yeah, I mean, and there's definitely the possibility that he unleashed something horrible into the world. Well, he kept it confined to the house, though, until the next. Right. He was next... at least he was at least smart Sucker. enough. He was at least smart enough to figure out that the shield was keeping right. it there, and he put right. fixed the shield across the door. Right. So, but you know, there are windows. Right. He passes a cult roll. <coughs> yeah, but he didn't nail his occult roll. Right. He passed it enough so he can get the fuck away. Right. And you never, and you don't but, know. I mean, he could have released something into the world. Um, just you know could very well be a true story and he unleashed the cause of our current predicament into the world a <laughs> hundred years ago over a hundred years ago oh things take time baby things take take time <laughs> all right so that was whisperer by mark on uh next up on the list is the dark cell by v Jeffrey Thomas. JT. Good old Rocket Man. Now, you know, you know, anytime you see Jeffrey Thomas in a table of contents, you know you're gonna get something fucking fantastic. Yeah. Because, you know, Jeffrey Thomas really deserves a lot more credit and a lot more notoriety in weird fiction than than he currently receives. Yeah. Jeffrey Jeffrey Thomas writes some special some special stories and it's always a always a pleasure to to read them. Mm-hmm. Now what we have in in the dark cells we have a pair of young women who uh, are in prison in the Yuma territory uh for murder both of them. Uh right. they're forced into a, a cell together. Um they have library privileges. They go to the library and uh after the new girl Maria Decides to pick a fight with our, uh, you know, main character Rose. She, uh, you know, they get locked in this in the hole. Essentially, it's a it's a dark. They call it the dark cell. Uh, it's a, essentially a cage inside of a cave. Right. It, it's it's solitary. It's meant for the one person. Right. But uh, in this case, they put the two of them in here. 
Right, because both of them, you know, they gave as good as they got. And... Right. So, so a little background on why they they end up in the hole. Uh, Rose has been there for a while, nine months, um, and she you learned that she killed her husband. Right. And uh, no, no details. Just she's there because she killed her husband. She doesn't like talking about it. Um, right. Maria comes in. She's uh, considerably younger, and she is in there for a similar crime, which she's altogether too eager to brag about. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Rose is more closed mouth about that, and uh, she doesn't she want doesn't want to talk about it. And uh, Maria keeps just keeps pushing and pushing until she thinks she's being disrespected, and uh, picks right. a fight with Rose. Mm-hmm. And they basically kick each other's ass and get thrown into the hole. Right, right. They kick each other's ass. They get thrown in the hole. And then as we're in the hole, well, you also learn um, that the, the, the guards definitely um, are, I won't say friends, but on friendly terms with Rose. Um, well, that one guard is anyway. Yeah. Where, you know, he's really apologetic. I'm sorry. It's not my decision. I wish I didn't have to take you here. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's wrong that you and the person you were fighting with have to spend like three days together. Right, in the hole. Right. Uh, because, you know, that's not a solution. <laughs> right. It's, you know, the guard is, is like, this is cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of that old uh, Lenny Bruce joke. I like what they do with homosexuals in this country. They stick them in jail with a bunch of other men. <laughs> All right. Well, before the fight, uh, Maria is telling uh, Rose. Rose about the uh, the old Aztec gods, and she they, she's looking at a picture of the jaguar, and you know, she's like, right. "It's the jaguar, you know." We it's the baddest of the bad. It's the baddest of the bad. This dude, this dude's just he's, he's straight up sick. Um, and then we go into the cave. They're they're thrown into the hole. And they sit there for a while. And it turns out the Rose has a particular kinship with animals and cannot abide animal cruelty. Uh, she also, you know, married a guy who was sweet enough at first, but he turned out to be a raging alcoholic. Right. Like we all do. Right. And one day, he uh, flies into a rage, a drunken rage, kicks her cat to death. I assume it's a cat, uh, and then goes out. And when when Rose protests and ends up slapping him, he grabs a shotgun and goes to kill her, kill her dog. And Rose can't really remember what happened exactly after that. And we we're not told until the very end of the story. Right now, there's a bit of like like we said at the beginning of this segment. This is the part where we have the twist endings, and there's definitely a bit of misdirection on uh, JT's part mm-hmm. when he talks about uh, Maria and the Jaguar God and her fascination with the Jaguar God, right? And and the fact that when when they're going into the hole, <coughs> um, he describes Rose's injuries in in detail, right? You know, enough to make you think that you know where this is going. Right, and we, we're we're riding along with Rose 
in the cell. Right. Uh, Red Rose is our protagonist, and despite the fact that she is a murderer, um, she's a, a likable character. Um, you could definitely relate with Rose. She, she want, wants to be left alone. She wants to just do her time and you know keep her head down. Mm-hmm. This is true. Um, but she has a dream. And in the dream, she uh, speaks to a monster in a cave. Which we're not told exactly what the monster in the cave is. And I don't think we're, we're really meant to know who the monster in the cave is. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But we know that the monster starts coming out of the cave, and the next thing we know, everybody's dead. Yeah. Well, kind of. Kind of dead. Because uh, the ne- after the dream, um, it cuts to the guards mm-hmm. running to the cell because there was obviously there was some sort of commotion. And um, her, her buddy guard shooting um, what looks like a, a huge animal. That was right. in, in the cage. In the cell. In the cell with them. Um, and, and, you know, the one girl, Maria, it, um, is, is mauled, like, as if by a wild animal. Right. Just like Rose's husband. But Rose, she's all right, except for the bullet wounds. The bullet wounds. <laughs> right. And yeah, so so yeah, Jeff uh, really throws that uh, switcheroo on us. He really and, does, and it's it's very cleverly done. And I I, I wasn't expecting it um, until until you know the the revelation of Rose's crime, right? But you know, he does he definitely strings you along very well, making you think that. Maria's a uh, weird jaguar. Maria's a weird jaguar. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the true skinwalker is Rose. Right. And that's and that's what makes the story great. And it's, it's really tense, too. Because you really don't know what is going to happen. You're left with this feeling that something is going to happen. Something's going to happen. And it's like... Jeff is writing this story and kind of giggling while he's writing it because he's like, eventually I'm going to tell them what's happened, what's really going to happen, but not right now. No, and and he then, did, like I said, he does a really, really good job of, of pointing you in one direction. Right. And uh, yeah. convincing you that's what's going to happen. Not, not only does he misdirect you, but he makes you wait for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, and, and it's great because, like you said, you, you know, it's like uh, the inevitable showdown at high noon that you're going right. to have in, like, you know, a John Wayne movie. You mm-hmm. know it's going to happen. And the, the the tension is in the results. Right. Because you're totally on Team Rose. At least I was. I right. was totally Team Rose in, in this in reading this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I thought I thought for sure she was going to get, you know, her throat ripped out by the by the monster. Absolutely. But he switches around. Now, it's interesting that you uh used uh showdown at high noon because that's a great segue for the next story. Thank you. Uh, which is The Two of Guns by John F.D. Taft. Yeah. 
Um, I really liked this story. This story was was really kind of cool. Um, it this one particularly had a very Twilight Zoney kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. You have yet another, you know, foiled bank robber or rogue. Well, scoundrel. yeah, this one's like has a posse on his tail. It's, right, he's got a posse on his tail. And it's a bad man after him. Right. It's like the, the one that always gets his man is after him. Right, Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. Is after Switching him. Every, every bully, every, every, uh, every waddy. What do they call waddy in the in the West? Um, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of it. Gulch, Aurorio, Aurora. Aurora yeah. Every Mesa. Right. Every I want every farmhouse, outhouse, townhouse, and and hen house. <laughs> but uh he, he comes across a, a snake oil salesman. Yeah, and this guy's great. Yeah, this this guy this guy's fantastic. This guy all right. And so this guy I, is played by Wesley James Young. See, this is I knew you were gonna say that, but <laughs> having watched the uh, second episode of of uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I had him as Billy Zane. You had him as Billy Zane. I had him as Billy Zane's Peter Barnum. He does have kind of that, uh, you know that that Billy Zane Demon Knight kind of you know the beginning well, of Demon Knight type did, of character. Did you it. watch the the episode with Peter? I haven't. Barnum? I haven't seen uh, that yet. That, now that's why you haven't, because Zane plays P.T. Barnum, um, like. Is it Billy Zane? It is Billy Zane, yes. yes. Yeah. He plays uh, P.T. Barnum like that huckster snake oil salesman that you would find. Um, There's a sucker born every minute. Exactly. He he like really plays up that that conniving showman aspect of it. And that's what this guy was. He was totally like, like this like slick. Mm. Yeah, he's you know, and the, the, the guy goes up to the wagon he's, and he's like, Can he I help you? Close. He he was dressed up like a an Easterner. Easterner. Or, or as Nick would call him, an Easto. An Easto. He was dressed <laughs> he like was an Easto. Which, essentially, that means he was wearing, like, proper clothes, not denim right. and custard. He had a, tie. He had a, he had a suit bowler, tie. suit and tie. His, his mustache was waxed very nicely. Yep. Hey, well, what can I do for you today, young man? What can I do for you? How about a drink? Right, so it's and, like and, Billy and, Zane and and Clint Eastwood kind of thing. Right, and and he's and he's playing off that like you obviously the guy who's confronting him is like a desperado, and he's like shrugging it off. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm making the sale. Right, I'm making the sale. Well, it's also he doesn't really have much to worry about because he knows that this particular desperado is lacking one thing. Yeah, he doesn't have a gun. Has no gun. He's he's uh he's basically thir- uh, dying of thirst out in the middle of the desert and he has no gun. Yeah. So, you know, he's uh he's either really bad at being a desperado or he's had some really a run of some really bad luck. Right. Um so our our snake oil salesman hooks him up with his patent medicine, which is just a bottle of whiskey. Yeah. A total um, huckster. Total total huckster. Except that he has a special gun. 
he does. He um he notices. I notice you don't have a gun. You're probably in need of a gun. I've got a gun for you. Mm-hmm. This gun never misses. Yeah. In fact, it can't miss. That's its nature. But, and it's a, it's a black-handled Colt revolver uh, with mystical runes etched into it. And I I really like this idea of these like um like setting specific artifacts. You know, like magical six guns. Yeah. And they're older model six guns. But you know, this is still, you know, a really it's kind of a creepy item. You know that there's something going on with it as soon as he opens the box. Well, you get a lot of that in uh, Western comics mm-hmm. from my, my limited, mostly Garth Ennis, <laughs> uh, Preacher and, and uh, Hitman. Right. Well, uh, yeah, you, it's, it's got that Saint of Killers thing going on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like in Hitman, they had a, 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 one of the villains was like this guy who was like, an, he was like a, a spirit of guns. It's kind of the same thing. Right, but he had like very specific kick-ass guns. Roland Deshane, right? That's his name, Roland right. Deshane from the Dark Tower. Also had like very special guns. Right. Um, so yeah, you you get the, a lot of that. The show Supernatural actually had a gun called the Colt, which was made by Samuel Colt to um, kill demons. Uh, same thing with Winona Earp had, you know, Wyatt Earp had a special enchanted peacemaker. Well, if you have that in Sword and Sorcery, which you, you do, you have Elric Magic There's Elric like a load of fucking swords out there right. that are, you know, kick-ass swords. Why not have that in Weird West, in Western mm-hmm. Tales? Why not? Yeah. I mean, that's like the iconic weapon of the Western. Right. Might as well. However, however this particular gun the enchantment on it is limited. <laughs> it only holds six bullets. Right. You it cannot, cannot be, reloaded. be reloaded. You have six shots. He wastes one of them right away just to prove that it works. Right. And the second thing is, is he wastes another one to gun down the snake oil salesman. And then his third shot is to get the guys after him. Right. Which he does. Then he goes to town. He steals. He steals the snake oil salesman money. Steals his clothes, his horse, his horse, everything, and uh, leaves him out there rotting. Leave, just leaves him out there for the buzzards. Um. Then he uh, he goes into town. He's got some money. He buys drinks and buys drinks and, and prostitutes. Horse. Yeah. Dinner. You know, get some some steak and taters. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's definitely, he's coming to money, he's spending it. Right. He's living the high life. Living the high life. He's sitting there, he's eating his fancy dinner, and lo and behold, the snake oil salesman sits down right in front of him. <laughs> right, so it's like the devil himself. That's right, Illuminati confirmed. Uh, he says, all right, well, you know, I let bygones be bygones, you know. That was a fair, that was fair. 
That was, he that was shits fair. his pants though. He totally shits his pants. We'll oh, give you the money back. You know, he definitely shits his pants because you know you shot this man and left him in the desert. Well, the gun that miss. Well, he said it was a gun that couldn't miss. He did not say it's a gun that kills every time. Right. There's a difference. Right. But I think yeah. it's also it also seems to be bound to his intent to kill. Yes. Well, if he had maybe. only if he had only said. Well, if you think about it, he's like, if I fire this gun, that horse is going to be stone dead, right? He fires the gun, the horse is stone dead. He doesn't say anything about right. killing or even really consider. He just shoots him. Right. So, but he's intent on killing the sheriff. So I think there's there has to be that intent behind the bullet. Right. And then and there's uh, also something a little supernatural about the, right. the snake oil salesman. Right. He has uh was it purple eyes? Oh uh, yeah. So he sits there and he's like, you know what? You know, that was a fair play. That was a fair play. I would have done the same thing if I were you. I, I just would have shot me dead and took all my stuff. I'll give it back. I swear I'll give it back. And no, no, don't worry about it. Look, you can pay me back one thing. You can challenge me to a duel, or I can challenge you to a duel. High noon, we have a gunfight. What then our snake oil salesman proceeds to inform him that he has the mate to that gun, and it only has one bullet left. Yep. One versus two. Yep. Our hero has two bullets left. Yeah, but really, at this point, you're rooting for the snake oil salesman. Yeah, cool. You you kind of know the snake oil salesman. You know, is he, he's playing one of those games that you know I'm not going to make this bet unless I'm damn sure I can win. Yeah, he's, he's like toying with his prey. Mm-hmm. He's toying with his prey, and we get to the climax. Of course, you know our our hero tries to get the fuck out of town. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to cash in his chips, get the hell out of town. Mm-hmm. But to no avail because right. snake oil salesman he, he finds him. Yeah, he ain't no dummy. He knows how people right. operate. Exactly. Especially cowards. Mm-hmm. Cowards, untrustworthy <laughs> men, desperados, that sort of thing. And it comes to its inevitable conclusion. And then you get the Twilight Zoney ending. And that, that's the ending is the best part. Where the snake oil salesman makes his final appearance. Yeah. Because he doesn't actually die in the gunfight. All right. So that was uh, The Two of Guns by John F.D. Taft. Uh, The next story on the list is Red Shadows in Terror Canyon by Lawrence Berry. Lawrence Berry. Thank you. Now this... My only note on this story is this is like a Conan story of the old West. <laughs> it totally is. I mean, the, the red shadows should have given it away. Right. Like total Conan. I mean, it, it plays out exactly. It's just the setting has changed yeah. and it just goes to show yeah, you it's, how it's, it's a, how universal the tropes of sword and sorcery are 
because westerns are pretty much that same type of gritty fantasy. Yeah, yeah, you got you got your guns instead right. of uh, swords, right? Cowboys instead of barbarians, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, and and but it feels so much like a Conan story. Well, yeah, I mean, you have like a uh, you have a beautiful woman who's in terrible danger, uh, whose circumstances outside of the current situation are not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, a, a guy who's who's uh, basically paid to go fetch her. Right. He's a mercenary. Yeah. Private justice is what he is. Um, yeah, he goes to fetch her. And Barry wastes no time jumping right into the monsters. Right. She, she wanders into the exact wrong part of, uh, of the area. He's like, hmm, this is Terror Canyon. In where uh, scads of people have disappeared alone and in groups. Right. Never to be heard from again. Never to be heard from again. Oh, crap. You know, let's, let's go and take care of this. Goes in, tries to get her out. She's half delirious from, from thirst. She doesn't want uh, to go because, you know, of her circumstances, her private circumstances. She's being married off to a man who she doesn't love. Mm-hmm. Very, very tragic. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and we just basically, we get this, this sword and sorcery style uh, action adventure piece. She doesn't want to be rescued. She doesn't want to be rescued. He's like, look, lady, you know, you're going to be rescued regardless. We can work out the details later. For right now, we have to get the fuck out of here. Yeah, bad place. Right. This is a bad place. We, you know, he's got his brave and noble steed. Yeah, who's essentially a character in their own right. Yeah, I mean his his horse is like super horse, whatever mm-hmm. Superman's horse he's, was. Right, uh, comet, comet. Yeah, right. Who got comet? Comet can run forever without having to drink. Right, he's definitely the Conan of horses. Whereas her her horse had to be put down. Right, her horse was the. Uh, Millhouse of horse, (laughs) and yeah, that's the first thing we see is we see this this motherfucker is ruthless. He's just like, sorry, horse, I'm really sorry. Yeah, do you remember? Plug. I think it was a a Tex Avery cartoon (coughs) Um, where you you kept on having uh, this one character take off his hat, put it over his heart, and go, "I'm sorry, ma'am, but it's the law of the West." Something like that, I'm sure. Yeah, that sounds Tex Avery. Yeah, <laughs> you know, sorry, sorry, horse, but it's the law of the West. That's right. You about to die, so please die peacefully. Um, yeah, they try to get out. They're attacked. Uh, the young lady is kidnapped by the monsters. I, I think the monsters are like Robert E. Howardish monsters. They're like right. subhuman. <laughs> Yeah, you know, right. they're like they're like picks. Mm-hmm. Whatever the, the Wild West version of picks is. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, that's what the devil they reminded me of. Uh, you know, and he's got his special rifles, his Winchesters. Yes, we he's got the long one. He's got a he's he's got the samurai swords of rifles. So he's got right. a long one and a short one. Right. Like, what's the short one for? Well, sometimes you just you can't have a long barrel out in the bush. 
What's the long one for? The short barrel doesn't shoot as far. <laughs> <coughs> and he has a lot of bullets. Mm-hmm. He has a shitload of bullets because uh, I don't think he runs out of ammo in here. I think he just has her um, loading up the gun he's not using as he's just like killing um, just wave after wave of these things. Yeah, I think he doesn't even run out of bullets. He just gets bored. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is too easy. I'm just which mowing is, these guys down. Total, that's a total Conan thing, too. Yeah, I'm bored. Let's, let's, let's add some challenge to this and run away. Right. Well, I mean, there's only so much you can do. Right. You can't kill them all. You eventually will run out of bullets. Maybe. I'm I'm wondering where he was carrying all these bullets because I think he said didn't he say something like each Arroyo, rifle? That's the body of the West. Yes. Arroyo. Um. Didn't what the big rifle carried like what twenty rounds or something in it? Yeah. Where is he carrying all these bullets? Uh, and the 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 section where this all happens, all, all the the little parts of this are, are are titled. Right. This part is called Winchester Holocaust. Yep. <laughs> So you have that kind of you have that vibe going on too. Yeah, here you go. When, when you're hunting a man in heavy brush, a 20 barrel can be a worthwhile benefit, but it carries less ammunition. The person with the last cartridge tends to come out on top in those contests of this kind. So it's good and bad. The 26 inch rifle is better for distance because the sight radius is longer. All right. Now load them up. And that's probably how we talk too. Yeah. Yeah, you can you can just imagine rolling up a cigarette. Yep. Now I'm about to shoot me some monsters. Um, yeah, so that that was one of my favorite stories in the book. The the two of guns, I think, was my favorite story of this section. But yeah, Red Shadows in, in Terror Canyon was probably the most batshit crazy story. Yeah, it was just like a fine adventure. Yeah, and it was it's just right there in the middle of all of this horror. And and it you know just goes to show you that the the weird tale or you know doesn't necessarily have to go horror. No, it doesn't. I mean you you have you know we've said this before, you have like your full on like mind bending HP Lovecraft stuff. But you also had like your your adventuring Conan or uh, you know Robert E. Howard, or, um, who was really good at blending the two extremes mm-hmm. was uh, Clark Aston Smith, right? Who who can write really good like sword and sorcery fantasy adventures with enough horror to make it like kind of tense and horrible. Whereas where Conan he puts the horror in there and you're just kind of like, ah, well, Conan's going to just kick its ass with the sword. Right. Or or even Solomon Kane. Yeah. Howard tends to write a little bit more of a Mary Sue character. Right. Well, you know, that's that's I think in that in that respect, I mean, a lot of these a lot of the protagonists of these stories, very few of them get away. Um except for in Red Shadows and Terror Canyon. Right. Um, you know, Conan, Solomon Kane, you know, they face these horrors. Right, not more. They are, you know, you say it's a Mary Sue. I say it's more of a triumph of determination because Conan, yeah, he hardly ever gets a scratch. 
But Solomon Kane gets fucked up over the course of his stories. Solomon Kane has definitely been in. Uh, well, you know, Conan has been in some scrapes too. He was crucified out in the yeah. desert. Um, in in a witch shall be born. Right. But but like but he, those characters, Conan, Solomon Kane, always like even at their lowest are able to take those circumstances and turn them around and come out completely on top. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, somebody like like a, a Clark Ashton Smith character, you might have these like grand adventurers, and they'll come across like you know what what amounts to a formless spawn, and you know one of them will get their hand eaten out off, and the other one's like fuck this and just takes off. Right, like, found drunk in a bar, like going, I don't want to talk about it. Right, but let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you my tale. So, it's, and that's why I'm saying he, like, it's not yeah. as laden with adjectives as other tales. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Clark Ashton Smith is a, Clark. Clark Ashton he Smith. Had, Clark, he had some choice words. He has the choice has words, some... but Clark Ashton Smith, in in my mind, and we'll and once we're done with, just to you know give you a spoiler, um, once we're done with with um, Edge of Sundown, we are going to be talking some Clark Ashton Smith. Bang. Uh, Clark Ashton Smith had a particular cadence to the way yeah. he wrote, mm-hmm. and it he didn't use you know quite the language that Lovecraft did, but his use of language was more lyrical than say Howard. Like I'm saying, he's a nice middle ground between the two extremes, right? And we'll talk about this when we. When we talk about this, because it's a Clark Ashton Smith, because right now we have to talk about Brian mm, Salmons's Feast of Famine. That's right, and in this story, the M really is. Mm. That's right, <laughs> because uh, you know this is a story. This is actually the first story that that has invoked any mythos name, right? And it's it's in passing. And yeah, it's one of those passing references in in the uh, it's a litany of the, of the list of names. Yeah, the name drop, which right. is like a fairly standard uh, trope. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have to have your name drop. But this one is an interesting story because it's it's nonlinear in a lot of ways. We yes. have it's like we have these arrow. Mm-hmm. It's we have flashbacks. And we have a, we have a main narrative, and we have flashbacks, right. and, and they, they kind of all end up coming together. And once again, it's one of those. Uh, it's a real good exercise in misdirection mm-hmm. um, with with how with the, the main narrative and the flashbacks superimposed over it, have you thinking something's going one way when. Uh, it's not going that way. It's going another way. It's not quite. Yeah. Right. And this is one of those twist endings. Now we've we've we spoiled the dark cell. Uh, we kind of spoiled whisper. We spoiled the two of guns. We didn't quite spoil red shadows. And I would rather not spoil this one because this story, um, it's 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 kind of a slow burn kind of story. And it yeah, just so cre- it, it creeps up on you. Yeah, so you basically have a uh, American woman, mm-hmm. or well, we don't know she could be Canadian. She's a gringo. 
right because uh, she travels to mexico mm -hmm. uh, to report on a famine right that is happening um she she behaves a little bit suspiciously um and the the local priest at the um, relief camp and uh his assistant i guess is the best way to describe him right uh, are, are suspicious of her mm -hmm. uh, so so they you know, they keep an eye on her meanwhile you have this tale of um some settlers in the uh, i want to say yucatan but probably not british no, columbia yukon yukon yes Yucatan. Um, who uh, are okay? Right, you're right. The Yukon, who who are um, just going through a hard time trying to get west. Um, they are just beset upon by blizzard after blizzard, and their food supplies run out, and um, none of them really know how to go, go about procuring food in the wild. Mm -hmm. And uh, now they're starting to die off, and uh, people are getting injured through frostbite. I mean, it's that bad. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of one of the settlers has the bright idea of of uh, eating their dead. Right. And and there's this big conflict in the person whose point of view um, these flashbacks are told from uh, doesn't want to to do that. Right. She, she doesn't want to uh, partake in that. She doesn't want to turn cannibal for her own survival. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you can guess which mythos being was, was mentioned. Right. If you're familiar at all with, with the mythos. <laughs> it's a Takwa. Right. And and so we, we have this reporter comes to Mexico during this famine, uh, post-revolution era there's a drought there's a huge famine going on and essentially when she's found out um that she's not a reporter she tells she she goes through another story that she's hunting this spirit right she um she was at one point a, a victim mm -hmm. of the spirit and uh she survived and now she is following it tracking it um and it's basically a spirit of famine who feeds off of the, the results of famine. Desperation. Right. The desperation, the, the, the hunger. So it goes around causing famine so it can feed. Right. It causes famine and drives people to. To cannibalism. To, to cannibalism. That energy is what it, it feeds on. And she's hunting it down. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she's got all sorts of like. It's like the picture in the house. She's got like books of cannibalism and famous cannibals throughout history. Right. <laughs> she keeps a diary, which uh, that the assistant can't read because he he can't. He's illiterate in Spanish, mm -hmm. and let alone English. Right. You know, and, and and she tells her story, and he, you know, he he he's I won't say familiar, but you know, there are tales. You know, right. of uh, some of the horrible things that happened while, when the Aztecs were, you know, ascendant. So he's he, like, buys, he, he buys into it. Right. He and he's like, oh, 
All right, little Missy, I'll fix their wagon. Yeah, we'll, we'll help you out. Uh, because right. she, she has uncovered evidence that this being is uh, operating uh, in the camp, in a very mm -hmm. remote part of the refugee camp. Um, there is evidence of cannibalism. She pulls out a femur, right. um, which has been not only chewed on, but cracked open so that um, the marrow could be extracted. Right. Because some people are into that. Right. Pretty grim stuff. Mm-hmm. And really, that's where the twist comes in, and we can't tell you anymore because we don't want to spoil this one. Right. Me, me, and it's a double twist. Because yeah, it's a twist on a twist. Because you get a twist in the flashback, which then affects your perception right. of the present. And then mm. that's a twist as well. Right. So so it's a so it's a double twist. So yeah. good on you, Brian. Yeah, good job, man. You're not just an editor, you're an author. <laughs> we knew that, but right. This might be the first one where he's actually had a solo story. I know there was one we re read where he um, had co-written a story with his editor, with his co-editor. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember if it was Blackie or um, Pillow Fort. Um, but this is the first one I've read that's actually his own story, not Brian and Salmon's end. In this case, it would be Kevin Ross. Right. So right on, Brian. Clap, clap, golf claps all around. And that about does it for this section. Um, once again, the anthology is Edge of Sundown, edited by Kevin Ross and Brian M. Sammons, published by Chaosium. Uh, is it still up on uh, RPG Now for cheap? Um, I think that is, well, it is while we're speaking, but I think it won't be when this airs. Um, I think that ends Halloween. So Halloween uh, um, being will be have been yesterday, right? Right. This will go out on Wednesday. Yeah. So sorry. It's worth getting anyway, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. getting it cheap is, is nice, but it's worth picking up. It, anyway. It's worth the price. It really is. All right. So uh, until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Yes. Keep luck points. Yeah, man, you're going to need it. Yep. And uh, good night, Gracie. All that horse shit yeah <laughs> good night everybody good night